Go to Philippians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 17. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17. We, we've been in a series called Things That Last. Um, we've talked about things like the lasting satisfaction of Christ, lasting friendship that comes in Christ, the lasting prize of Christ. Uh, today we're going to talk about lasting citizenship. Uh, what does it mean that we are citizens of heaven? So Philippians 3 starting in verse 17, uh, I'm going to go all the way to verse 21. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So I grew up in the country. And when I mean the country, I mean the country. Anybody know where Quero, Texas is? home of the fighting gobblers. Um, so I, it, it was the country, okay? So, um, so I say I grew up in the country, but I'm not really that country. Like, the country didn't really take on me. And if you know me, you know that that is true. But being in the country, you had to be very careful where you walked. You didn't know what was going to be in front of you. And I remember as a, as a kid watching my dad, and I noticed that at an early age, every time my dad would open the door, he would get to the door and he would stop, look down, and then start walking. And I, I never understood why he did that. But as a kid, I started doing that without even knowing why I would do that. So I would go to the door, I would open the door, and I would look down, and then I would just keep walking. And one day in junior high, my friends started making fun of me for doing that. And so I, I, I stopped doing that. But when I was in college, okay, this is all going to connect. When I was in college... I had a roommate named Tom, and I was studying like a good college boy does uh, on one side of the house, one of the only times that I studied, and I was on one side of the house, and I heard in the faint distance someone yelling my name, Colton, Colton, and so I walked over to the other side of the house, and I saw Tom with his hand pressed against the door, and then he looked at me, and he yelled, stop, and then he pointed down, and there was a snake that he had trapped under the door. So it was like halfway outside, halfway in the house, and the snake's face was just pointing right at me. And so I called my mom, and I wanted to tell her this story. And I said, Mom, there was a snake. Just like, it was cold. It was trying to get in the house. And she said, well, that's why your dad always looked down before he walked outside. And it hit me. Oh, my dad wasn't crazy. Like, <laughs> there was a reason for what he did. And, and, and I had no idea why he would do that until 20 years later. But the reality is, we imitate other people, right? I mean, it's something, we are all imitators of something, and much of the time, we imitate without even knowing why, right? Well, Paul starts off this section, and he says, brothers, join in imitating me. So we have to ask the question, okay, what exactly are we imitating 
here and answer that, let me read to you the text from last week because this is what he's referring to in Philippians 3.13. He says, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I do not consider that I have considered all things rubbish. I do not um, consider that I am fully satisfied in Christ or that I know him fully. But he says, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. So they are to imitate the way in which Paul forgets what lies behind. They are to imitate how Paul strains forward. They are to imitate the way in which Paul presses on towards the goal of the call of Christ. And Paul is telling them, you want to know how to do this? You want to know how to do this? Just do what I do. Follow me. Look to me, because we are all imitators of something, and Paul knows that about people. Life is just a series of imitations, right? We are wired this way. Like parents, your kids imitate you more than you think that they do, right? They imitate you more than you think that they do. They see how you live out your faith. They do. I was a youth minister for several years. They see how you live out your faith. They, They see are they hear how much you talk about the cross of Christ? And they hear how much you don't talk about the cross of Christ. They are imitating you more than they think. They know what you value in life, right? They see it. They see what you say, and they, they hear what you say, and they see what you do. And let me say this. There are millions of millennials leaving the church today. I mean, there are research. Millions of millennials leaving the church today. People in my generation... Because much of our parents taught us how to follow the rules of religion, but we weren't really, many weren't taught how to follow Christ, like what it means to be a follower of Christ. And, and I've gotten a question, this is kind of a side note, I've gotten a question many times, okay, why don't we have a youth minister here at Renewal Church? Like that is just kind of what churches do. You have a youth minister church, and it's a really good question, and it wasn't something that we just passed by like, oh, we forgot to hire a youth minister. No, um, it's not because we don't have the money to pay somebody. Um, It's not because we're a young church as if down the road as we grow and we get more money, we're going to get one. No, it was an intentional decision, and here's why. The model of expecting your kids to become mature believers in Christ by separating them from the rest of the faith family, I'm just not sold that that works. I think it's the responsibility of the faith family to disciple our kids and our youth, that we give them something that is worth imitating, which means they need to be near us to do that. They need to be in our home groups. They they need to be around other adults, that we would model to them what it looks like to follow Christ, that we would truly give them something that lasts, like we would show them what it means to be satisfied in Christ. We would show them what it means to have lasting forgiveness, the lasting prize of Christ. Like, my parents weren't believers. I, I can, we lived way out in the country. We would drive 30 minutes. I would drive 30 minutes to church. And, and the reason I'm here today is because if I did not show up to the gathering, there would be an army of adults that would call me and show up to my house unannounced. I mean, that happened several times where adults would show up to my house unannounced and say, hey, where were you? How are you doing? People like Helen and Ray Reese, Kathy and Jamie Stanfield, Lonnie Holcomb, these people that God placed in my life as a youth to remind me, no, God cares for you. God loves you. And they showed me that there was something that was better. And so my prayer for us 
as a faith family is that our youth, which we had such a great time yesterday, by the way, uh, we took them out and we uh, talked about the gospel. I hurt my back going down a slip and slide because I'm old now. But I want our youth to see how good Jesus is. And I think the best way to do that is by us collectively as a faith family, walking with them and caring for them and showing them that there's something better in this world, right? There's something better. There's something more glorious. There's something more worthy of investing your time, your career, everything that you have into. And that starts by us modeling that, okay? It starts with us modeling that. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes, keep, listen to me, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Okay, so throughout the New Testament, we learn the important reminder that our faith, though personal, personal, was never meant to be private, okay? So I have a personal relationship with Jesus, but that personal relationship with Christ was never meant to play out in the privacy of my own mind and heart. We are meant, designed, to share our faith with one another, okay? Usually when we talk about sharing our faith, it's evangelism, right? No, but it's also sharing our faith with one another. There is a lot, a lot of Christian information out there, okay? You can listen to podcasts. You can go to YouTube. You can find pastors and preachers who think like you, talk like you, and, I mean, their style, their, their flavor is what you want. You can find someone that is just for you. I mean, the, the options are vast, right? But nothing, listen, nothing can replace the need to be trained by living examples. Nothing can replace the need for us to be trained and for us to imitate living examples. And I'm not saying that listen to podcasts and YouTubers and, and like I have a library full of old dead guys, okay? And I'm thankful for them. I've learned a lot from them, but nothing can replace the need for us to be trained by living examples, right? And let me say this. We need mentors in the faith who will serve us by walking with us. And so you, um, you more seasoned folks in the faith, okay? You more seasoned folks in the, in the faith. Those of you that have been around the block, and I want you to hear this, and I want this to be an encouragement to you. We need you to show us Christ. We, we want you to show us Christ. We want you to show us what it looks like to live a life of faithfulness. We want you to show us what it looks like to love our spouse for decades. We want you to show us what it looks like to live a life that sees money through a gospel lens. Not that you would just give advice on how to spend our money, but that you would give us the gospel and that would affect how we spend our money. That's what we want. We want you to pursue us to invest in us. And for us younger folks, like, do not be too proud. Don't be too proud to ask someone, hey, can we just sit? And can I just ask you questions about the gospel? Can I just ask you questions about scripture? And let me say this. It would, if you're younger in the faith, it would be wise for you to get people around you who are strong in the things that you aren't strong in. I think the temptation a lot of times when we talk about mentors and being discipled and all this stuff is we kind of have this like Pauline view of who that person is, meaning they're going to be like the perfect person. They're going to know scripture backwards and forwards. They're going to pray five times a day. They're going to have the perfect kids and the perfect spouse, and that's who I want to be when I grow up. That person doesn't exist. 
right? Ask any of the saints in here, right? You're not perfect, and you're the first to admit that, and because you're the first to admit that, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. So if you want to learn more about Scripture, find that person who just oozes out Scripture. I mean, they love the Word. If you want to find someone, if you're struggling in your marriage and you want to find someone to train you and to mentor you and to walk with you in that, find that person. Maybe they don't know Scripture in and out, but you know without a doubt they love their spouse unendingly. Find a, husbands, find a husband who loves their wife like Christ loves the church, and it's undeniable. If you are, are questioning how to pray or you're not sure how people pray for an hour or how to have a consistent life of prayer, find that person that, is, that prays without ceasing. Like they live out that verse and say, I want to I just be around you. I want to be near you. And so I, w- I want to say, be watchful. Like if in this faith family, be watchful of the people that you meet. Be watchful of the people you are around. And, and let me say this. I would rather imitate the kind of person who has sinned but modeled what biblical repentance is than the person who acts as if they have no sin. Does that make sense? I want to model the person who has sinned, but they have responded, and they can tell you that story, honestly, about how they sinned, where that went wrong, and how God brought them out of that, because I'm going to sin, and I have to admit that. And I want to learn how to model what it means to follow Christ in a fallen world, just like I am. I'd rather follow that person a million times over than the person who acts as if they have no sin. So be watchful of the kind of person like that, that you say, you know what, they, may not be, they might not mark off every category, but they imitate Christ in this way, and I want to imitate Christ in that way. So I want to latch on to that person, All right? Philippians 3.18 And this is why he says it at the beginning, because then he gives a warning in verse 18. He says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now you tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And here's what he says about them. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Okay, so here's why I say be watchful of who you should imitate. Because Paul says there are many, there are many who we should not imitate. Now, let's give some context here. Paul here is describing those who are caught in between following Christ and following Roman culture here, okay? The Roman Empire was a very polytheistic place, meaning that there were hundreds of gods worshipped in that culture. In fact, early on, Christians were seen as atheists. They were seen as atheists because they only worshipped one God, and listen, where there are hundreds of gods, and if you've ever been to India, you know this to be true, um, where there are hundreds of gods, there are hundreds of what? Parties, festivals, um, things happening that are against what God calls us to be many times at this party. And so um, it was normal for a Roman citizen to indulge yourself in all sorts of worldly things. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying there are people, there are many that are pretenders. Okay, these, are, these aren't like pagans who outright deny the gospel. Instead, they put on a show as Christian leaders. They put on a show as Christian leaders, but a gospel example is lacking from their life. He says their God is their belly, meaning they've given themselves over to lustful appetites. He says they glory, think about this phrase, they glory in their shame. That means they enjoy and celebrate 
what God commands not of. Things like sexual sin and greed. He says their minds are set on earthly things. That can actually be translated to mean temporary things. So they set their minds on temporary things. He's essentially saying, look, I know the rhythm of the Roman culture. Okay, I know the rhythm of the Roman culture. I know that there are some in your midst who say they are one thing, but really the way they live their lives is completely something else. He says, don't model your lives after them. You aren't called to match the rhythm of the culture. You're called to match the rhythm of God. That's why he says in verse 20, our citizenship, but our citizenship is in heaven. And he says, from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And so here we see the core issue in the church in Philippi, okay? And we talked about this back at the beginning of the series, but when we say words like Lord and Savior, we know what we're referring to, right? If I say Lord, you know that I'm referring to Christ. If I say Savior, you know that I'm referring to Christ. But here in Philippi, that was not the case, Philippi was an extremely patriotic, extremely nationalistic city that was devoted to Caesar. And Paul is essentially saying here, you have a higher calling. You have a higher calling. In their culture, it was seen that Rome has saved the world. Roman law, Roman roads, like Rome has, is the savior of the world, and Caesar is lord over all of that. And Paul is reminding them, no, you have a better lord. You have a higher calling, you have a higher allegiance that you being called to. Your allegiance to Rome, because Paul would call on his citizens to Rome every now and then. He does it three different times. He would say, I'm a citizen of Rome, and that gives me some rights. But here he's saying, your calling to the Lord, to Jesus Christ, is higher than your calling as a Roman citizen. It's not Caesar who's Lord, it's Jesus who is Lord. And if I could, for a second, just be, that we could just be honest about this. And this climate in our culture, right, in this climate where God has placed you and I, if we're going to say Jesus is Lord, if we're really going to submit ourselves to God's word, I think that naturally is going to put us at odds with much of the culture, right? It's going to be different, um, like if you, you say, hey, I believe Genesis 1, 26 and 27, then you believe that God created all people wonderfully and beautifully as male or female. If you believe Genesis 2, 24, then you believe that marriage is designed for a man and a woman. If you believe 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Thessalonians 4, then you believe that any sexual activity outside of marriage is, is, is a sin. If you believe Ephesians 5, then you believe that a husband is leader of the home. Just as Jesus is leader of the church, if you believe Psalm 139, you believe that abortion is murder. That's just the things that are polarized in our culture. But that puts us immediately at odds with that culture. But, but here's something else. What does the way in which you handle your money say about your citizenship? What does the way in which you handle your money, what does the way in which you treat your spouse say about your citizenship? Like, are, are, are you just able to get divorced because you fell out of love with him? Or does it reflect the commitment and the love of Christ that Christ has with us? That husbands, we are to pursue our wives like Christ has loved the church. And it does not matter, it does not matter we pursue them. 
We love them. No unapologetic commitment and pursuit. The amount of Christian men in our churches who have secret sin that they aren't telling their spouses about when they're alone. We have kids here, so I'm trying to be careful when I say this. But the amount of Christian men who are hiding a specific sin, and, if, and you, most of you know what that is, that number, I'm not even, it's astronomical. How much secret sin, how much men, and not, let me say this, in Gen Z, I don't know if you know this, it's not just men anymore. It's not just men anymore. Where it used to be thought that, okay, this sin, this is only for men. That's not the case anymore. So parents, you have to be very careful with your kids and what they're looking at because that, that will, it will destroy your soul. It will steal away from you an understanding of the love and kindness that Christ has for you and has for other people. And men, it will, it will squash that affection and that understanding and empathy and love for your wife. And so we have to destroy it. What about this? Here's a question on our citizenship. How do you engage with people who think differently than you? So we have all these polarizing topics, right? That, that you, we say you have to believe this, you have to believe this, and you have to believe this. Things we're passionate about, things that we're convicted about. So how do we handle someone who disagrees with us, right? I think that says something about your citizenship as well. Like, how do you engage with those who might have a different ideological belief than you do, than I do, as a follower of Christ? Because here's the deal, because this is a lot of what we're seeing. I don't have to attack another person for their ideological belief when I could just talk about the ideological belief itself. I don't have to attack or degrade someone because of what they believe when I could just talk directly about that belief. Like, just because we disagree doesn't mean that I can, one, deny that they're made in the image of God. Two, it also doesn't mean that I get a free pass not to love them as Christ has called us to love, how Christ has loved us. So practically, to make this clear, that means that we as a church aren't going to celebrate Pride Month. Like, it's just not something we're not going to do. We're not going to celebrate Pride Month, while at the same time, we're not going to degrade someone's image bearer, someone as an image bearer of Christ, if they do, while at the same time, we want to sit down and have a discussion with them about why they believe what they believe, while at the same time, our prayer is not to win the argument against them, but it's that they would know the love of Christ. Does that make sense? This, in this day and age, we are citizens of heaven, which means that we not only believe different things than much of the culture, it also means that we treat them differently than they would even treat us that we show them something better, a better love, a better hope, a better joy. And it's better than that ideological belief that they have. And we have to show them that. And look, that's not even the craziest things that we believe, y'all. Like, we believe, we believe that God was born a baby from a virgin, lived a perfect life, never sinned, died, rose from the grave, and then flew up to heaven, and one day is coming back on a horse. That's what we believe about Jesus. Y'all, we believe some very different things than the rest of the world, right? And you know what? We center our lives on that reality. Everything we do comes from that reality, that Jesus Christ has died, he has risen from the grave, and he's coming back. 
And so we live our lives that we belong to that truth. That is the only truth we belong. Let, let me read to you. Um, Steve read this earlier, but it's essentially saying the same thing out of 1 Peter 2.11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And, and don't miss this. He says this, um, this reality that you're sojourners, that you should abstain from the passions of the flesh, they wage war against your soul. Paul, he refers to these believers he's writing to as sojourners. A sojourner is a person who resides in a place temporarily. And this is just as true for us as it was for them 2,000 years ago, that we live in this in-between time, between the incarnation and death of Christ, that Jesus has come, he's put on flesh, he's died, he's risen from the grave, he's ascended to heaven, and one day he's coming back, right? We're in this in-between time, that Jesus has died, risen, ascended, and one day he's coming back. And in this in-between time, he has tasked us with being light in the darkness, that as his disciples, we would make disciples. And Peter reminds these believers, this place is temporary. This place is temporary. Look, this is not your home. You don't belong here. As much as the passions of your flesh want you to belong to this world, that your faith and everything else is dependent on this world, you do not belong to this world. And the passions of your flesh, man, they, they are they are driven by the world, and they wage war against your soul, against your soul. Take a second and let that sink in. There is a battle waging right now against your soul. Your soul is in danger of being destroyed. Think about that. There are passions, desires, thoughts, ways in which this world is working to destroy your soul, TV, streaming, social media, business, at school, at home, everywhere in this world, this war is inescapable and it's intentional. Think about it. There are so few things on TV or streaming online that are designed, I'm not saying all TV's bad, I watch all kinds of TV, but there's very little things that is designed to nourish your soul. App developers for your phone, the, the engineers behind Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, they're not thinking, how can I nurture people's passion for God? News outlets, I'm, I'm not even going to talk political agendas, but I'm talking about the idea that news outlets are going to tell you what is right and wrong, right? So let's not be foolish. This world is not neutral. The world is inundating you with messages every day, and it's telling you that success, money, Acclaim, entertainment, sex, drink, whatever. It's saying that those are the things worth living for. And we, as citizens of heaven, we don't buy that. We don't believe that. God uses the word war, waging at every moment to pull you away from God. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 20, 16, 26, he says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but what? forfeits or loses his soul. That we abstain from the passions and desires, we resist them. And as I've studied this text, man, I am driven to prayer because I'm burdened for so many in our churches who profess to be Christian, but we're sleeping through the middle of the war. Like, we're just okay with it. We're okay with it. We're indifferent towards the things of Christ. 
um, or apathetic towards the things of Christ. Like, listen, it's easy to forget you are a sojourner and you're an, you're an exile. You don't, believe, you don't belong to this world, which means we don't live what the world lives for. We don't sell, believe what the sellers are, the advertisers are selling. We don't believe what social media is offering, that things as, such as pride, fame, money, success, sex, the things that this world issues as lures, we don't live for those things. We don't believe that they're better than Jesus. There's something, he is so much better, so we guard our minds. We guard our hearts. We guard our thoughts because we don't think like the world thinks. We don't feel like the world feels. We don't talk like the world talks. Why? Because we're exiles here. We're living for an entirely different world. It's not, just, it's not like we're foreigners in another country. It's like we belong to another planet. We live for another world, an altogether better world, and that changes everything. So here's the question. <clears throat> How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we practically live in a world that is contrary to who we are, to what we believe? I think he's already told us in Philippians 3.12. He says, not that I've already attained this, or I'm already perfect, but he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Like we press into Christ in this world because Christ has made us his. That's why he says our citizenship is in heaven. And he says, from it, we await a savior. So listen, there will be a day when that war is done. There will be a day when the battle has been won. This, this is promised. We are not sojourners or exiles who are unsure if we're ever going to get home. Think about that. Jesus has promised that he will return to make all things new. Like, when you think about heaven, like, really be honest here. When you think about heaven, what do you think of? Like, what do you think it's going to be like? I think there was a period in my life when I thought it was going to be boring, when maybe I loved the Astros too much, um, and I was so inundated with who they were. Like, what do you think heaven's going to be like? Heaven is not foreign. Heaven is home. This place is foreign. This place is not home. And that leads us to the realization that heaven will be far from boring. And this is so important. This is so important. Because I think, I used to think, okay, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? We're just going to stand around and just sing songs for a quadrillion years? Like it's just going to be one endless choir practice? And I tried choir practice once. I hated it, right? So what? The answer scripture gives us is that's not what it's going to be like, that there's so much more to hope for in heaven. It's not an endless choir practice we're going to. It's a place. Think about it. Heaven is a place where we're going to experience the fulfillment of our desires in a way that we've never experienced them here, okay? Envision the hope, right? A place of full reconciliation with God, full reconciliation, where we will be with him forever. Heaven is a place of the comprehensive redemption of all culture. All the things in culture will be redeemed. He's going to make all things new, right? Just imagine how all the good elements of creation will be totally restored by God. All the good elements of culture, all the good elements of the arts, music, right? All of it be perfectly used for the glory of God. So we, li we live in light of the hope of that, that God is creating a new 
earth where we are exalt God continually. Think about it this way. Like, think about um, the moment in your life that you always want to recapture, right? The moment that you want to go on forever and ever. Maybe that was your wedding day. Maybe it was the day you graduated uh, from school. Maybe it was when your kid... One of your kids was born. I say one. All of your kids were born. Um, maybe it was when your team won the championship. I don't know. But, but think about that moment, right? Inevitably, what happens? That moment ends. And then you spend your life longing to feel that way again. Heaven is the place where you will say, I want this to go on forever, and it will. And it will. Think about that. I want to feel this. I want to be this satisfied. I want to have this kind of hope, this kind of joy forever. And you will. That's what heaven is. Think about how you want your spouse to be that satisfied. To know God in a way where your faith isn't questioned. There's no more doubting. There's no more struggle. There's no more war. You think about your children. In the place of heaven, There will be satisfaction forever, and it will be worth it because we will sing the only one, we will sing of the only one who is actually worthy of our affections and our attention. And because we will do that, we will be fully satisfied.